Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. On October 14, 1987, Jessica McClure, an 18-month-old baby from Midland, Texas, fell into a well. Over 400 people took part in her 58-hour rescue attempt, which was spurred on by her cries of anguish that could be clearly heard at ground level through a pipe. And the rescuers decided the rescue must have two phases. Phase one, simply get someone down there next to her as soon as possible. Phase two, extract her from the well. Phase one was driven by the knowledge that people tend to do and think strange things when they're trapped alone in a dark, scary place for long periods of time with no one to talk to. They get disoriented. Their fears get blown out of proportion. Their minds play tricks on them. And sometimes they start doing self-destructive things. And sometimes they just give up. But the rescuers knew that if they didn't get someone down there soon, there would be no hope for Jessica. Well, thank God Jessica made it out safely. But for many of us, being heard is difficult, either because no one listens or we don't talk. And we feel like Jessica, stuck in a dark well, a dark, scary place where no one, it seems, cares or comes to our rescue. Well, Job was in a dark, scary place. He lost everything. But we know the backstory. He didn't. He didn't know that everything was going to be taken care of in his second part of his life. The one person he relied on, his wife, was so distraught that she couldn't help him. So then Job reached out to his friends, who at times were helpful, but most of the time they were harmful. And this is when Job reached out to God, and God came through. Finding Hope and Suffering, Part 8. This is the last part of the Job series. What can I learn from Job about suffering? And the first thing we need to learn, trust God no matter what. Trust God no matter what. Trust is extremely important when it comes to your faith in God. But I want to tell you today that trust is not exactly the same as belief. I can believe in something and still not trust it. Have you heard of the trust fall? You know, when someone stands behind you and says, hey, trust me that I'm going to catch you from that high place when you fall backwards. Well, there's a reason why it's not called the belief fall, because you might believe in your head that person is going to come through and catch you, but in your heart, you don't trust that that person will. See, trust is having confidence in the reliability of the person you believe in. And it's sometimes just a difference of a few inches from here to here. That's why the Bible says, very famous verse, read it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. See, there's a difference. When you trust the Lord, it's in your heart. There's a confidence, a reliability. And don't lean on your own understanding because our minds play tricks on us. Job had deep knowledge of God. He spoke deep truths about God even in the midst of his pain. But the question is, did Job trust God? Did he have confidence in his heart 
about the reliability of God and his word. I believe he did, because in the midst of his pain, he was able to say this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and after my skin has been destroyed, I will see God in my flesh. I know, and that means not just a head knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. I know that my Redeemer lives, and I trust in my heart that one day I will see him face to face, that God will come through. He will catch me when I fall and not come through for somebody else, come through for me. There's a big difference. Like a lot of times, even when I preach and I'm writing something in my sermon or I'm saying something out loud as I am now, am I just saying it for you or do I believe it for me? When you say a verse, someone's going through a hay and you go, you know what, let me pray for you. And by the way, Rayleigh, you know, you got to trust God with all your heart, man. I mean, I know you're going through a lot of stuff, but he'll come through. Do you mean it for that person or also for you? See, there's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they don't trust God. See, Job had what's called eschatological hope, meaning he knew that a better future was ahead, even though his present was horrendous. But I want to challenge you to go one step past Job. I want to challenge you to not only trust God for a better future, I want to challenge you to trust God now. What is going on now that needs to change by the power of God? Do you trust God? Are you in a dark, scary place? Do you know someone who is? Do you trust God that he can do a miracle? So I just want to pray right now. I want to pray for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. God does. Maybe you're feeling like you're stuck in a dark, scary place. Maybe you know someone who is, or maybe that's someone whom you love is in a dark, scary place, and they might not even know it. I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, we know that you're not just a God of the future. You're a God of the present. You are alive, and you're working on our behalf. And you can do miracles, Lord, just like you did when you walked this earth. And I pray, Lord, by your Spirit and by your Word, that you would penetrate the darkness and bring to light the hope and the trust that's needed by your conviction. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do well beyond what we can do in our flesh, because you work in powerful ways. In fact, nothing is impossible for you. Impossibility does not live in the kingdom of God. God can do all things and I pray that we would trust you in that way. I pray that we would be like Job, that even though when we're going through suffering, we can say, you know what? My Redeemer lives, and I will see him face to face. And I pray, Lord, that you will reveal yourself right now, face to face. Not only in this people's lives here, but in the lives of people that they're praying for. Lord, I think of people, I think of kids, I think of human beings that are feeling hopeless or that have wandered off into the wilderness. Please gather your children home, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the tricky part. What if things don't change? What if God's plan is to stay in the desert just a little longer? 
Will you trust him or will you be like Israel, who grumbled and complained and actually missed out on the promised land? I want to encourage you to trust God with all your heart. Remember, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And here's what I also want to say. And I said it before. Even if you don't understand what's going on, you can still stand under God's grace, authority, and reliability because he's a good God. Secondly, whether on this side of heaven or the other, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. See, Job knew that no matter what happened in his life, his next life would be better. And the Lord decided to bless the second part of Job's life more than the first part. Look what it says. The Lord, Yahweh, blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Job 42 and verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon that said, see, it wasn't until Job prayed for his friends that God blessed him. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. That's not what it's saying here. A sermon like that is kind of like, oh, I got to do something right for God to bless me. Almost like, oh, you don't have enough faith. But that's not what he's saying. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job after he prayed for his friends because God told him to pray for his friends. And it's just a narrative saying, okay, after he prayed for his friends, the Lord increased all that Job had twofold, and then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had come, known him before, came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities, and that word in Hebrew can be translated evil, for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. Now, think about that. Remember, we've talked about this, and last week especially. God is not evil, but God can use evil to accomplish his purpose. Some people freak out, like, oh my gosh, why would God do that? Because he's God. He uses Satan. I mean, think about Jesus in the wilderness. Satan tempted Jesus. That was God's plan. So God allowed evil on Job. And then his family that were alive came and ministered to him. And they gave him money. And I think of how when we leave this earth and we stand before Jesus, well done, good and faithful service, come and receive your reward. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. So remember, the Lord blessed him twofold. And the actual... Numbers of animals that he now owned are exactly double what he had before. I mean, if you read chapter 1, 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 1,000 donkeys. That's a lot of animals. And then he had seven sons and three daughters. Now, last week I brought up the fact that rabbinic tradition, because this is not double, this is the same. And rabbinic tradition reads Job, especially this part, that they read it as his former children were resurrected. Whether that's the case or not, isn't it cool that God can do stuff like that? Resurrect people? And then verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years. 
and saw his sons and his grandsons. But the blessing is he got to see, he got to be alive to see his kids get married and have kids and have grandkids. Isn't that a blessing? Four generations. And then Job died and went to heaven. Now, Job is known as the sufferer, like I said, but I believe he's known as more than that. In theology, there's something called a type. So, like, if you're reading the Old Testament and you come across, let's say, Joseph, you know, how Joseph was thrown into jail, and then at the very end of his life, it says, all this you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many people. Joseph is a kind of a type of Jesus, because Jesus experienced the cross, but for the saving of many people. Well, Job is kind of a type of Jesus, but he's also a type of a New Testament believer, I believe. Why? Well, first, Job is described as blameless and righteous, and that's how we're described in Christ. Job suffered. Jesus said what? In this world, you will suffer. Job believed that his Redeemer lives. We believe this and know this. Job believed that he would see his Redeemer face to face in a body, in a physical body. We know that and believe that too. And the best part of Job is his second life was better than the first. Our second life in heaven is going to be way better than this life. So see, Job is a type of us right? Well, he's also a type of Jesus. Why? Job is described by the Lord as my servant. So is Jesus. Job was a suffering servant. Jesus is described in Isaiah 53 as the suffering servant. Satan hated Job. Satan hates Jesus. Job's battle was against Satan. Jesus actually battled Satan. Job prayed and interceded on behalf of his friends. Jesus prays and intercedes for you. Job's friends brought a sacrifice to Job for their sin because Job was their mediator between them and God, like a priest. Jesus is our sacrifice, and he's also our high priest, mediator. You see the correlation there? Let's continue in Job. Now, I want to jump back, though, to verse 7, because I want to show you how this all works with how Jesus and Job were a type. It came about, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is against you and against your two friends, because you've not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's like being in class and you're like, hey, I know all the answers. And then the teacher goes, uh, no, he knows all the answers. You got an F. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourself and my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept who? Job, so that I may not do with you according to your foolishness or your sin. Look, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. 
We're not accepted by God in ourselves. God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. We are in Christ, therefore we are accepted. You see how it works? Because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Nahamite, went and did as the Lord told them. They had to do what God said for the next part to happen. The Lord accepted Job. Isn't that interesting? If someone to ask you, what is God's will for my life? What's the first thing you should say? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if they haven't done that, they ain't going to get anything else right. Jesus said, God's will is that you believe in me. If someone doesn't believe in Jesus, God's Son, they can't move on to anything else. They can bring as many bulls and sacrifices as they want and try really hard, but they're not doing God's will. Does that make sense? And you need to help people understand this. Because there's people walking around going, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? Well, have you done the first thing? Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior? That's the first thing. See, on this side of heaven, we're all going to experience pain, suffering, and death. But on the other side, you're going to experience eternal joy, prosperity, and life. Here's the catch. It's on this side of heaven that you have to make that decision. There's some people who came out, it's called universalism. God loves everybody, therefore you're okay. You know, you can do whatever you want on this side of heaven. God loves you, died for you, so you're already accepted. That's a bunch of malarkey. That's heresy. Why did Jesus talk about anything on this side of heaven then? If everybody just gets to heaven. It's on this side of heaven that you have to make a decision for or against Christ. Hopefully it's for Christ. Because Job's friends did what the Lord told them. Then they were accepted. And if you do, if you believe, as God's will for you is, you're going to receive all the blessings that come with eternal life. And guess what? You're going to receive this too. Proverbs 18.24 One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's some debate. We can get into a theological debate that Solomon, when he wrote this proverb, he might not have intended to refer to Jesus. But don't we know now that Jesus has called us his friends? And he's proved himself to be the best and most reliable friend we will ever have. That's why it's so important to have Christ as your friend and as your brother. Because then you become a part of his family. And he cares for his family. He cares for and shepherds us. And then third, because of that, don't be afraid to talk to God about your problems. Do you talk to God about your problems? I talk to God about all kinds of problems. You have a friend who wants to talk to you, and he wants you to talk to him. His name is Jesus. He is my best friend. But I only know him as my best friend through suffering. Because when things are good, 
I don't talk to Jesus much, sadly. When things are going south, I'm on my knees. Look, we all have problems. Some of us just don't know what they are. And that's the premise behind my book called Healing Steps, which is available on Amazon. I wrote this about my trial that I've been sharing throughout this series. And on page 89, I want to read directly from the book. The night was dark, driving home on the canyon road from a 12-step meeting. It was early on in my healing step journey, and I was feeling discouraged. I had been out of the hospital long enough to get back to my previous life, but not long enough to get my feet back on the ground. This new life was hard to get used to. As someone told me, you're getting used to a new normal. I didn't like how this new normal felt, and there were so many changes happening that I doubted if I could make it through. I was talking to God in prayer on the way home, asking him to please reveal this plan for me. I felt alone and needed some encouragement. It was then that my headlights shined brightly on this sign, Share the Road. The sign is intended to remind drivers to share the road with bicyclists, but to me, it had an entire different meaning. God spoke to me through the sign. He said that he wanted me to share the road I was on with others. That sign helped give me perspective as to why I was going through what I was going through. See, some missed the signs. I always pray, God, teach me what you want me to learn quickly because I don't want to walk around the desert for 40 years. But sometimes we miss it because the sign's going off. And we're like out to lunch. The Bible says that God comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort others. And the worst thing you can do is keep your hurt inside. You know that that causes many problems and illnesses. Do you know that unresolved guilt, shame, and anger can cause depression? They can also cause destructive behavior such as excessive drinking, self-medication, drug abuse, eating disorders, obesity, and blindness. Yes, blindness. I knew a woman once who became blind in her adult life, and she went to doctors and no one could explain why. And one day while in church, the pastor spoke on forgiveness. You must forgive in order to experience healing, he said. And at that moment, she decided finally to forgive her ex-husband who had left her for another woman. She decided to trust God to take care of everything. She was tired of carrying this resentment and anger. And at that moment, her sight came back. The emotional pain had manifested itself as blindness. Now, let me stop and say something very important. Trust and forgiveness are not the same. You catch that? Trust is earned. Forgiveness is a gift to you. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about a man who was born blind. His name is Bartimaeus. I call him Bart. One day, Jesus came into town, and nothing was going to stop Bart from the possibility of being healed. Even when his friends tried to discourage him from going, he didn't listen to them. He fought his way through the crowd, and there he was, standing before Jesus. And Jesus, the one who could heal, looked at Bart and asked a very interesting question. Bart, what do you want me to do for you? What? Can't you see that I'm blind, Jesus? I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight 
and began following him on the road. God knows your pain. He knows your problems. He's just waiting for you to admit you have them and that you need help. See, Bart was blind as a bat. Only God could heal him. But you know what's worse than physical blindness? Spiritual blindness. And some of you might need to say, I want to see. I'm tired of being blind. I've sat in this chair or I've sat in church for who knows how long, weeks, months, years, but I've refused to admit that I need a Savior. Well, today is your day to finally see. Do you want a reliable friend who's closer than a brother? Do you want to know that someone is praying for you at the right hand of God? Do you want to know that when this life is over, you will move to version 2.0, which is a much better operating system? Then do these things. Number one, admit your need for Jesus. Acts 4.12, read it with me. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You can't save yourself. There's no one else that's going to save you. Jesus is the one who saves you. You know that lifeguards say that the hardest people to save are the ones that keep trying to save themselves. Their arms are flailing. Not until they give up can they be saved. So you have to admit you need Jesus. Secondly, believe in Jesus. This is the key to eternal life and salvation. Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen, eternal life begins the moment you believe and continues into your next life. That's the key. But you also have to do one more thing. Confess Jesus. Because this is the part we miss. And if you don't do this part, the seed of God's word that came into you might be taken out by the enemy. Read it with me. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is it? Confess and believe. You have to publicly confess. Now, that's not what saves you. You're saved by grace, because God is the one who has to make the first move. We're spiritually dead. Dead people can't do anything. God has to make the first move. And he opens our eyes, and we believe, right? Then do we just, like, say nothing and just go home and, like, be back to our old life? No. We publicly confess Jesus as Lord. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you told people, Jesus is my Lord and Savior? You need to do that. It solidifies your faith and the seed of God's word that went planted in your heart goes deeper into fertile soil because you're confessing it. And what is one of our first acts of public confession after we believe? Water baptism. I'll tell you what. When I was water baptized as a believer, because I was baptized as a baby, but I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't make any decisions. I don't even remember it. When I came to faith in Christ at age 29, the day that I got baptized was one of the most incredible Holy Spirit-filled days of my life. I felt like what I had believed became a reality. 
And I had to stand before people who had ridiculed and shamed me for leaving the Catholic Church. And I stood in front and I said, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I go to church not to get saved. I go to church because I love God and I love God's people and I need to be with his people. But it's not about going to church. It's about coming to Christ. And that day was powerful. And I was no longer ashamed. Because of that day, I was able to stand and begin standing in front of crowds of people. And I'll never forget the day they asked me at Saddleback Church to stand through four services and share my testimony. I might have done it, but that day made it real. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, I want to baptize you. You need to let me know. You say, Pastor David, I want to be baptized. I won't make it happen. Now, I don't know about you. I've learned a lot from the book of Job. I've learned that I can find hope in suffering because Jesus suffered and he understands what I'm going through. And I can talk to God all the time, anytime. But you know what the best part is? I learned that my second life is going to be awesome. And that's the hope we have, the eschatological hope in God's future. And I ask you, Lord, that you would do that in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-